Welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, I am Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. We have a nice early off-season show for you. We hope you'll enjoy. Uh, we're going to go over the national title game a little bit, and then we'll get into Hokies news and notes, things that have broken since the season ended. Uh, and then we'll go over our over-unders from the, previous, from the beginning of the preseason uh, and see how we did uh, – Spoiler alert, Andy kicked my butt on that. Not by much. By a little bit, though. Well, you just went back and listened all to all that. All that matters is that you got the W. That's what matters. You you went back and listened to that podcast so you could pull all the stuff and, and our selections and everything, and you, you noticed something about yourself during the podcast there. I was coughing throughout the entire thing, so some things never change. You know, I joked about it before, oh, I'll get over the cough just in time for the next one. Well, another wave is coming through the family. Uh, the wife is at home sick today, and the child has uh, the sniffles again and runny nose, and it's kind of affecting me a little bit. It's only a matter of time before I get full-blown sick again. Yeah, well, hopefully we can get through this one, and, and you can do your masterful editing if we need to uh, to get through it. But let's start with the national title game. Of course, uh, even though that's not Hokie-related <clears throat> per se, I mean, it's it, I think most Hokie fans probably stayed up and watched it. Uh, Clemson wins 35 35- 31 over Alabama. Andy, you were very close on your prediction. I said 34 30. It's very good. Between that and the bowl game for the Hokies, I and you know, the late bowl game picks, I was kind of on the mark there. You know, give me 13, 14, 15 weeks of football to watch, and I maybe will get some picks right at the end of the year. It's it's pretty impressive. And uh, you know, speaking of picks, I know Vegas took a bath. And I, that's what I thought when I, you know, when I was handicapping that game, I'm thinking. I'm not hearing anybody saying Alabama's going to win this. And Alabama's been number one the entire season. They're a they're juggernaut. Um, but I, too, picked Clemson because I just couldn't, uh, you know, maybe the error of recency or, or the, the belief in recency, but just see, having seen how kind of stagnant the uh, Alabama offense had been and then how good, how dominant – Clemson had been against Ohio State, but then, you know, turns out that they end up winning. I mean, when it was 14 nothing, I was thinking, oh, man, I got suckered in just like everyone else. What did you think when it was 14 nothing? Uh, I was sort of half watching at that point. I focused in more later in the game, but I was like, this is going to be boring. <laughs> like, it's really, you know, the, the best thing about this outcome, and, you know, I'm not really cheering one way or another, uh, but I thought it was interesting that Clemson won because it makes college football – sort of more open like you know if Alabama wins it every single year uh, that gets kind of boring after a while uh I mean this would have been I think Nick Saban's second back-to-back that he's had uh at Alabama I mean that that's just ridiculous this run that they had and you know I'm sure some somebody in the offseason will fall into the trap of saying is the Alabama dynasty over it's like well they were within one second of repeating as the national champions so no <laughs> one second of going wire to wire is the number one team in the country. Uh, I would say no. It is uh, not a sign of decline or any sort of decay in the Nick Saban era there. But you know the fact that Clemson won, I, I just think that's a, an interesting thing for, for football right now. It's like, oh, uh, another team that's not necessarily this huge revenue team. I mean, obviously, relative to a lot of schools out there, Clemson's uh, pretty well off. But you know, this is a team that uh, – 
you know, seven years ago when Dabo Sweeney took over, I don't think anybody was talking about them as a national power. So it sort of gives you hope that if you do things right, make the right hires, recruit the right way, give enough support to your football staff that, hey, you too could be in this mix. You could also be a, a national champion with it. Yeah, we kind of talked about that last year when Clemson finished within an eyelash of winning the thing. Uh, of course, it's good for the ACC for them to win. Uh, it's good for sort of the non maybe non-traditional number, you know, top five teams uh, to, to, to start to believe. Uh, I, I pulled this quote from Dabo here uh, from our paper today. It was an AP story. He says, he described it, he compared it to Rocky II. He says, uh, in the first one, it was kind of a draw. The draw goes to the champ. In the second one, the last possible second, Rocky gets up and wins the heavyweight title. That's kind of how it was tonight. I love that quote from Dabo because well first of all the first, the first one wasn't a draw Alabama beat them because they didn't cover OJ Howard in the entire second half so it, that's a little bit I mean you could have said this year's game was a draw if you said last year's game was a draw so the analogy doesn't quite work in my that point sense. is I, I understand Rocky the <laughs> you're original, just glad that he quoted Rocky in this quote the original Rocky is the one that won the Oscars but I'm actually a Rocky three and Rocky four fan as is my daughter. Everybody's a Rocky. That's the best. Yeah. Rocky Four is the best movie of the bunch because it just became utterly ridiculous, and he's climbing mountains and snow boots and working out in Russia, and you know the 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 movie had moved beyond any kind of pretense of realism at that point. Drago, yeah, screaming great. from the top of the mountain. Yes, well, that's Dabo up there now, screaming from the top of the mountain, and he is refreshing. I like Dabo. I really do, and I'm. I, Saban, you know, he, he obviously you respect the heck out of him for what he's done, but he's boring, man. I mean, he's just so he's laconic. The Bel- I mean, he's the Belichick of college. Yeah. And it makes sense. He was Belichick's defensive coordinator in Cleveland, and I think they had coached together on uh, another staff somewhere along the line. But, uh, yeah, Dabo is a lot more entertaining as a quote. I think he gets a little too far out there with some of this. I mean, he made some comments about uh, – in the post game about entitlement of players, about paying players or something like that. And he's like, Oh, if that's the case, then I, I don't want to be a part of it. It's like, all right, man, you made $1.4 million in bonuses just from the postseason alone. And like five and a half million for the season. Like that's a, a very tone deaf statement to be making in this thing. But, uh, as a reporter, I love the fact that he can fill up a story because he will talk about anything and he will talk about it at length. Well, it's kind of nice to see somebody win a championship and actually celebrate it. And be really excited about it, and not be like, "Well, signing day is three days, three weeks away. We yeah, we'll enjoy it. this for seventeen <laughs> hours and move on to the That's next." Such BS, man. I, I, you know, like let your. I mean, I, I know the Alabama players enjoyed winning titles. I, I'm not saying they didn't, but um, you know, you kind of take your cues from your leader, and and Dabo cuts loose, man, and he he enjoys the moment and and savors a, a well earned championship, and I, I like that. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think he's good for college football. I cl- think Clemson winning is good for college football. And uh, I, I know it's still a very small, select group of schools that could win a national championship just because you need to recruit at a certain caliber and you need to have a certain uh, amount of money and resources that you're putting into these programs. But I think it does kind of just open up a lot of possibilities for people out there. Like, if Clemson can do it, you know, why not us in this certain situation? I think Virginia Tech is on, honestly one of those schools. Pete Morris, uh, the SID at Tech, sent, sent me a tweet or added me on Twitter uh, with the uh, with the odds that were released 
for the national title for next year. Speaking to your point there, what was it? Thirty-three uh, to one. Yeah, thirty-three to one for the Hokies uh, in that range, alongside like the Penn States of the world. That's pretty good. I mean, they've been. I mean, it doesn't mean they're they're going to win anything, but but it does. Uh, show sort of a level of respect rising. Uh, I don't know if the odds makers are really taking into account all the people that are leaving. Uh, well, that's, I saw one, I think it was USA Today, that does their, everybody comes out with their way too early uh, 2017 poll, which you know honestly looks a lot like the final polls yeah. uh, in 2017. Had the Hokies at number 13, hmm. uh, which I thought was, uh, as I phrased on Twitter, extremely optimistic. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, so. if you lose the quarterback who set all the records. You lose two of the top five receivers in the history of the school. You lose that right side of the offensive line, Sam Rogers, all the things he did. A couple guys on defense. Uh, you know, they've won in the past with a Bud Foster defense and enough on just enough to get by on offense. I think with Fuente coaching the offense, uh, regardless of who the quarterback is, and it might be Josh Jackson, it might be this transfer they got. I think they'll be able to move the ball a little bit better than some of those past Virginia Tech teams. And you combine that with a Bud Foster defense, hey, they've won the league before like that. They've been in the top 15 uh, before like that. I just think it's a bit, uh, maybe a bit of a reach to put them quite this high. I say if they get anywhere, it'd be in the 20s somewhere. I probably would not even have them ranked in a preseason poll for next year just because they lost so much on offense that that would give me pause. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, we've talked at length about all the guys who decided to leave. <clears throat> there was some. Uh, there was one guy who decided to come back. Uh, the guy, the one guy who was kind of on the fence the last time we, you and I met here, uh, was Brandon Faison, and he has decided to come back. Uh, Talk a little bit about his decision and and what that means for the defensive secondary attack. Well, I think it's big for the defense because that's a, a veteran cornerback that they have back there. They, they were losing Chuck Clark already, uh, so that's a safety spot they need to fill, have a couple options with that, could shuffle some guys around. Uh, but that cornerback rotation this year with Faison, Greg Stroman, and Adonis Alexander worked out pretty well, I thought. Uh, and I would imagine that in, unless they switch a position on anybody there, and I, I don't think that'll be the case of the cornerbacks. I, I think they'll do that same sort of rotation again next year. And, uh, you know, the depth dropped off very quick behind those guys last year. They have a couple youngsters. Khalil Ladler was a, a highly touted signee who was coming off an ACL injury. I, I think he could be pretty good long-term. Uh, some other guys that could give time to develop could be good, but, uh, I think there was definitely a drop-off between those first three and then the next group. Uh, so if you get Faison back, all of a sudden you're not two and then the next group. You're still those first three and then the next group that have to come along. So I, I think that helps this defense quite a bit, not to mention uh, you know, Faison's a leader. He's a senior. He's, he's a, a veteran who's been around. I think he started 36 games in his career. Uh, I think he's played pretty well. He hasn't quite had the uh, interception totals. He hasn't had an interception actually since his freshman year when he had five and kind of burst on the scene and uh, honestly might have been the equal or better of Kendall Fuller for those first seven or eight games before he got a concussion, I think, uh, in his freshman season. But uh, so he's a high potential guy that I, I think could have a pretty strong senior year. And, you know, you certainly welcome any guy like that back to the defense. Yeah. And here's hoping he stays healthy and because you know, this is what we talked about before. Uh, you know, my thought was, well, maybe the reason he would leave is just because he's had so many injuries and right. wouldn't want to have to recover for something like that again without getting paid for it, uh, or at least trying to get paid in the NFL. So, uh, good luck to him on the injury front. Let's hope he, uh, let's hope he stays healthy. Uh, 
the quarterback problem is solved. Uh, we have a new quarterback coming to Blacksburg. His name is A.J. Bush. He's coming to Virginia Tech University. I think he tweeted. Uh, he corrected it. Yeah. The next no, day. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm just. I'm, no, but I mean, uh, normally guys just leave it, but he actually is like, I'm sorry. It's not a university. It's just Virginia Tech. <laughs> and everybody was like, thank you. Thank <laughs> you for doing that. Tell us, tell us about young AJ, uh, where where he's coming from, and what what he's done so far in his career. Well, you say the quarterback situation is solved. I wouldn't go that far. I would say the quarterback depth issue is at least slightly corrected right now. At least they have another person in the room. Uh, AJ Bush, he, he was a not the most heralded recruit coming out of high school. He's from Georgia. Uh, went to Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska had a coaching change there. Mike Riley came in. I don't feel like he ever thought he was going to get a shot or, or got a fair shot or whatever it was. Whatever it was before this season, uh, he was battling for the third string position or something like that, and he decided to leave and transfer to Iowa Western Community College. Uh, his stats there are not impressive. I mean, they're really underwhelming. I think he completed like 45% of his passes, had three touchdowns, eight interceptions, uh, had some rushing yards, but I think he also lost seven or eight fumbles, something like that. So. You know, you see junior college quarterback come in, and I think instantly everybody goes, oh, he's the next Gerard Evans. Uh, he's not, at least in terms of preparedness and readiness to come in and make a contribution. Evans was this sort of a ready-made guy, even though we had our doubts going into last season whether he could actually translate that to the Division One level. Uh, Bush, from the sounds of it, is going to be more of a project, or, or at least looking at his background, I think he's going to be more of a project. Uh, who knows how he'll do once he gets in here with Fuente. But at the very least, he gives them some quarterbacks to work with this spring. I mean, coming in, Josh Jackson is the only scholarship guy currently on the roster that will be here in the spring. Um, Hendon Hooker is going to commit uh, enroll early. That was a change of plans once they found Evans was leaving. Uh, Hooker comes in. He'll be here. But yeah, you're talking about a redshirt freshman and a true freshman and then a couple walk-ons as well. So adding another guy, a fifth quarterback to the roster, somebody who's at least been through some college practices before, I think that's an important thing because uh, at the very least, you you can't predict the future and how A, a guy is going to develop, or B, whether he's going to stay healthy. So you need some contingencies, you need some competition to to push guys a little bit in the offseason. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if Bush will be the guy. I don't know how well he'll make a, a, a jump here back to the Division One level and if he'll fit the system. But he's at least another guy in the competition. And considering how late Virginia Tech sort of got in the transfer market, I think he's probably about the best they could do. You know who's pulling for Bush to win this job? <laughs> Headline writers. Yeah, they play West Virginia to open next season. Head for the mountains with Bush. There you get that. Uh, would be. Also, uh, Bush Wax, North Carolina. You know, all these things could 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 come to fruition. I know, but you're forgetting all the potential Dawson's Creek uh, <laughs> sayings with Josh Jackson if he were to win the job. Forgive me for not having watched. Come on, <laughs> any Dawson's Creek in my day. You're not even aware what of it. What was their theme song? It was that uh, I don't want to wait. So yeah, I made when when he committed, I made a joke about that on Twitter that went over. Some people were like groan, and other people was like that was a great tweet. And I'm like, I'll take both as compliments. Well, there's a Revenge of the Nerds quote that could have been used when Bush decided he was coming to Virginia <laughs> Tech, but I won't utter it here because I don't I don't know if it's highly appropriate. But if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. All right. 
Hokies finished 16th. You're, you're grinning. Have you seen the movie? I have seen the movie. I don't know the reference you're what, what reference you're making. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll stop there because <laughs> we don't really need to get fired, I don't think. Hokies finished 16th in the AP poll. Uh, you kind of referenced how they've opened up in 13 and, and another poll uh, for next year already. But um, 16th, considering where they were at the end of last season, pretty good work. Yeah, I mean, they were one of five teams that ended up ranked, I think, that did not even get a vote in the initial preseason poll. So that kind of shows you where they came from to where they finished. Uh, being 16th was actually the highest they were ranked all year. So I know they got up to 17th, dropped down after the Syracuse loss. I think it was 18th, and then dropped down after the Georgia Tech loss. So to keep bouncing back and get up to where they were, I, I think 16th is about right. I mean, you could maybe quibble with – uh, they're behind Western Michigan. I honestly, I think Western Michigan a little bit overrated. Uh, even though they played Wisconsin close in that bowl game, they were, you know, they fumbled it five times and caught, got back all of them and got a sort of a lucky touchdown at the end. I, I think that game was a lot less close than what it seemed like, and that was about the only decent competition that they played all year. So, I think you could argue about that. Some other teams, their Auburn was eight and five. I don't know necessarily have. Uh, if you look at the quality of wins. Virginia Tech probably stacked up well with them. But, you know, when, once you get into the teens there, there's a lot of teams that could be in the same mix. But, you know, for Virginia Tech, it was their highest ranking since 2010 to finish the season. So we're talking six seasons now uh, where they haven't been ranked that high at the end of the year. For a first-year coach who was making a transition from a, you know, coaching legend previously that, you know, kind of dipped a little bit at the end of his career, uh, I think that's a pretty good way to finish the season. Yeah. Well, February 1st is going to be a very busy day for a lot of us who cover Virginia Tech and Virginia. Uh, it's signing day, and it's also the day Virginia and Virginia Tech play for the first time. In oh, is it? I didn't know basketball was that yeah, same day. Yeah, it's a Wednesday night, uh, and it's, it's in Charlottesville. So uh, that will be an interesting night for the barbers of the world who try to cover everything. Uh, I will do one or the other, probably. Probably the basketball game, and he'll let you handle Yeah, all, all I think the... you probably do basketball. Signing day is it's a very important day, but man, it just gets blown out of proportion. Yeah, well... There it, is... It'll be funny when you go around and listen, listen to every coach talk about his class, like, this is a great class. Yeah. Academically, I think it's one of the strongest classes we've ever put together. I think some guys can compete early for playing time. I've written that column many times on signing day, and it doesn't go over well with people who really like recruiting. They they really hate when you do when you kind of make fun of their passion. But you know what? For the rest of us, for those of us who you know kind of just want to wait and see what they look like when they actually get here, uh, that's the way it feels. But uh, I don't I don't want to write that column again. I've written it enough. Uh, but there is an interesting sort of development here. I mean, this Devin Hunter kid. Tell us about him and. and he, what he's going to make his decision here before signing day, right? And, yeah, he's uh, he announced last night that he's going to announce his decision. An announcement about an announcement uh, will be January twentieth. Uh, he's the number one or two recruit in the state, depending on what you know recruiting service you're looking at. Uh, safety from Indian River High School, fairly important recruit for Virginia Tech to get, just because they've missed on the sort of elite recruits in the state for so long. Uh, I think this would be a good sign going forward for Fuente and his staff if they could land a guy like this. Uh, he is down. I mean, he's got some elite choices. He's got Alabama, Auburn, Florida, uh, Ole Miss, and North Carolina, I think, in addition to Virginia Tech and his final six. Probably pretty good feeling for Virginia Tech right now. I mean, he he announced that he'll do this January 20th, with, which is actually that was the weekend he was going to go to Auburn. 
and he had a visit with Alabama set up for the following weekend. So the fact that he's committing before doing those trips, if he even does them at this point, uh, that's probably a good sign for Virginia Tech. Florida's a, another competition here, and you know, coincidentally, that's Torian Gray is his primary recruiter down there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it was the U.S. Army All-American game. I, I might be confusing my All-American games. Uh, somebody showed a picture of him flashing a VT sign after the game uh, on the field. So that's probably a, a pretty good indicator for Virginia Tech. But in recruiting, nothing is uh, final until the guy sends in his letter of intent on signing day. So even the commitment will be, yeah, he committed, but it's still two weeks until this thing actually is official. But I, I think the Hokies can feel at least a little bit good about their prospects in this one. Here's what I want to talk about. The emoji. <laughs> when he tweeted his finalists, he had a little gator emoji he had a Ram emoji for uh, UNC. Uh, Ole Miss, he didn't have anything, so he just did, I think, blue and red. And then for the Hokies, he had a, a chicken. Um, that clearly is a chicken, right? That looks like a chicken. Auburn, there's a, a tiger. chicken, some might say. Does Virginia Tech need to get uh, on the on – because the, they have a emoji, right? Virginia Tech has emoji. I think there's a Hokie bird emoji. Okay. And Maybe is that available to the general public? Or I think have... so. I, I'm not an emoji guy. Yeah. I don't use them. Uh, I'll just make fun of them by putting in brackets, like insert fire emoji here or something like that. I'll sure, just sure. Joke about it, but uh, you know, other people would know better than I do if, if they have. It. I th- I, I want to say I've seen that there's a hokey bird emoji out there. You want to get depressed? Click on <laughs> when somebody tweets something like that. Click on it to read the replies. And it'll really depress you about the state of the world. I mean, just oh, his announcement uh, well, thing. Yeah, you got to be a gator, and then seven gator emojis. Oh, you know, we love you here in Hokie Land, and you know, seven chickens. I mean, well, it's, I, I it's mean, just, I, I saw most of those because I think Devin retweeted probably ninety percent of. Does them. he retweet them? So they look at them, and they were they. Do you think that plays into their decision? I don't think it. I don't think it plays into it. I think. Uh, I think some of these guys sort of enjoy the attention and celebrity of it. I mean, you, you, we all look at our replies, and sometimes if you have a good tweet or something like that, it's like, let's see if people responded to this oh, tweet. Sure. So I, I would imagine if you're a 17, 18-year-old kid, this is pretty cool. I mean, if it's cool for us in the profession, you know, the bitter, jaded sports writers that we are that uh, are still like, oh, we'd like some feedback like that. I would imagine that uh, a high school recruit like this would, would love that sort of attention. Yeah, I'm being unfair, but really this all dates <laughs> back to my picnic baskets, picnic basket, uh, caskets tweet. Which was which got one favorite. I still don't understand. I still don't understand it. That, that's the problem with that particular tweet. Is I still don't understand it. Best tweet I've ever done. Best tweet I ever will do. <laughs> one favorite. No retweets. So. You know, some of these <laughs> great moments in art or uh, you know TV go underappreciated, and that makes them even better. So that the fact that that tweet didn't get the kind of reception that it, it should have gotten, I think you should feel even prouder about that because that was such a specific in the moments esoteric tweet that only a few guys would get i think that was that should be reward enough but you want the retweets damn it yeah yeah well since i've taken this podcast off the rails you get it back on here uh we let's go over our over-unders you went back and listened to it over-unders i i listened to it i'll put a link on this uh podcast if you want to go back and listen to us uh talk in a more innocent age when we were talking about this stuff. I mean, there were so many unknowns. It, it's funny now to listen to it. Uh, we're like, well, if Gerard Evans is the guy, and it's just comical to see that now. It's like, oh, the guy who set all these school records and you know went pro, maybe not the greatest decision to go pro. We'll see with that. But uh, 
you know, at one point I even said, well, you know, if they're going to pick Gerard, they're going to play him a lot because he's got another year after this. So it's just kind of funny to think now that he had such a good year that he's going pro. Uh, and just that whole situation is kind of uh, interesting to listen to in hindsight. Uh, we did 13 picks. Okay. Let's go through them now. Uh, the very first one, which will seem comical in hindsight because of my pick, was Trayvon McMillan, 1,000 yards. Uh, I initially said under on this, and then you said, well, we're including the bowl game too. And I was like, well, if there's a bowl game, if you get a 13th game, and this is before we even you know contemplate an ACC championship game, he went over 1,000 in the bowl game last year. So I'm like, I'll say he goes over. Uh, the total was 671 yards. He didn't come close. Uh, Gerard was the leading rusher on the team. Uh, I, I think after two weeks, we could tell that Trayvon wasn't going to get close to this one. You got it corrected under – uh, your thoughts on that? One word, sucker. I gotcha. I got. I knew I needed a good start to this whole podcast uh, over under thing, so that's what I did. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I really thought he'd get closer than he did for sure. Uh, it was a tough choice for me, but I remember seriously contemplating saying over there. But uh, after you know the third game, you could kind of see where that was heading and the way. Uh, I don't know if defiance is the right word, but the way Justin Fuente just shrugged off any of our questions about how many carries McMillan's going to get, you know, (laughs) you had that information in the preseason, even though you had an inkling, I mean, he had, he had told you before, look, I'm not going to, I don't care who gets the carries. So when we're talking about the running backs, you know, don't worry about who starts or, or, you know, I'm not going to be concerned about the carries as long as we get production. Um, Maybe we could have read into that a little bit more, but one to know for me. Do you think he'll get over a thousand yards in his career in a single season again? He's got two more years. You think he'll go over a thousand before he finishes at Virginia Tech? I, you know, maybe just because you won't have <laughs> not, not, won't necessarily have that running option that uh, that was brought by Gerard Evans. Um, you might need some more from your tailbacks. Possibly, I think as Fuente starts to recruit some of his own guys to come in here, maybe that diminishes the chance. But you look at. You know, Shai McKenzie looks like he might be on the outs here. Uh, you know, Marshawn Williams had another uh, knee injury that he'll be trying to come back from. Deshaun McLeese is coming off an injury. The guys coming in freshman-wise, uh, I don't know how instant they'll be able to impact anything. I, I think next year he might have a chance, but uh, I would not make that bet at this yeah, point. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard for any running back to get 1,000 <laughs> yards at Tech. I really do. I think that's uh, going to be a challenge going forward, and I think you would lean under on any over-under uh, re- regarding that uh, heading into the into the future until we see one actually happen. All right, second one, Isaiah Ford, 1,200 receiving yards. He did not get there. He had 1,094 yards. He got close, Yeah. Uh, did not quite get there. We both said under on this one, and we were both correct. Um, I think I thought it'd be more under 1,200 just based on sort of the – how they dispersed the the passes previously, but uh, you know, still a very good season for Isaiah Ford. How he finished up? Yeah, that 14th game, and Isaiah had a didn't he have a big ACC title game? Or am I thinking of uh, his bowl game last year? Uh, I think <laughs> Isaiah had like 80 some yards. Yeah, in the I ACC mean, title it, it, game. It, it, he had a pretty good one. I, I think. I mean, part of it is uh, Cam Phillips kind of came on towards the end of the year and actually almost got to a thousand yards. Uh, I think part of it is. Isaiah commanded a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. I mean, you went into the season going, Isaiah Ford is their go-to guy. He's their number one receiver. And I think a lot of defenses approached him like that. And that's part of the reason why I went under the 1,200. But uh, getting 1,094 yards, whatever he got, 
Uh, that's still a pretty impressive season for a guy that uh, you know currently holds all the receiving records at Virginia Tech. I think actually Cam Phillips next year could pass him in receptions and yards. Yeah. So we both had under. So I'm I'm sitting at two and zero at this point. It's sort of like my bowl guy. Got off to a really rousing start. All right, move on. Wyatt Teller. This is a time we we set this one when he was uh, coming off the bench to start mm-hmm. the season. We we recorded this in late August. So uh, this is when we didn't quite know what was going on with Wyatt Teller. We set it at ten and a half starts for the season. Uh, I said over. Uh, he actually did not start the first two games. So if they had played. Uh, 12 games, that wouldn't have been right. They, they actually got the extra game with the ACC title game and the bowl game. He actually made 12 starts this season. So I got it right. Uh, I feel f- sort of fortunate to have got it right because I was thinking he would start by the Tennessee game, and he actually did not. Yeah, I think we set that number very well. And uh, props to you. Props to you. I mean, he, he obviously very talented player. It was more a matter of whether he was going to tick off Fuente in practice or something and get benched. Yeah, I think with him sometimes it's just motivation yeah. in starting the season. Uh, obviously, he had some penalty problems early. I think he was still uh, the offensive line MVP at the end of the year, as voted on by the, the coaches or something like that. So uh, he's a guy that consistently has put up really good years. It'll be interesting to see as a senior if he can have that year that sort of gets him up in all ACC consideration because he's never gotten that so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, next one, Bucky Hodges' touchdown total. We set the over-under at seven. He had exactly seven. For the third straight year, he scored seven touchdowns. Uh, I think last year he had six receiving and one rushing. Uh, so seven touchdowns every season. He hit the num- hit it on the nose this year, seven. We both said over, and you were enthusiastically over. This, these are some of the things that you said on this. We set this one too low. Uh, he's got a good shot at reaching double digits. Take it to the bank. You can't see it, but I have a shoe here. This is my shoe-in of the season. Yeah, you get your money back. That is a blood bank guarantee. <laughs> you get your money back. You get your money back. It's a push. Yeah, a um, little surprised. Uh, you know, maybe a few more red zone throws to him weren't made. But Well, t- to be fair, he dropped a couple in the end zone. Yeah. A couple of those deep passes I thought were on the money that, uh, you know, touchdowns I thought could have been made. So, little surprising he didn't go over on that, but I, I think he still had a pretty good season, uh, certainly playing a position that wasn't completely uh, – he wasn't completely used to. I mean, he was, he was essentially a wide receiver all season, where in the past he'd done that a little bit. So uh, I still think a pretty good season for Bucky. Uh, I thought that I, – I honestly agreed with you. I thought he could have gotten to 10. Yeah. I mean, uh, when you <laughs> consider the fact that they played 14 games, he was healthy all year. Um that's a bad. That's a bad overpick by me. I mean, I feel like that's a loss, even though it's a push. This one's going to seem funny in hindsight. Tremaine Edmonds. Uh, we based this on Deion Clark's tackle total the previous season. We went over under seventy-seven tackles. Uh, he had one hundred and six tackles. Yeah. In addition to eighteen and a half tackles for loss, I think probably one of the three best defensive players. I, I probably put Woody Barron and you know his brother uh, Terrell. I, I thought uh, had a great season as well. Uh, we both said over, we were both correct. Uh, did I, I not say on there that I thought that was too low or did I, I can't remember. I, I kind of sped through it at the speed of yeah, the process. Yeah. I didn't listen to the whole thing. I, when I said it, I said, I, this is sort of on the line. I think he'd be around that. So I was way off. I mean, I got it correct, but he, he had nearly 30 more tackles than, uh, what we set the over under at. I thought he had a tremendous season. Yeah, he really did. I mean, he's rangy. 
That's the word we used. To Athletic, describe. rangy. <laughs> He's very rangy. But uh, yeah, and you got to remember the pace quickened a little this year. They ran more plays. Uh, that means the other team is going to run more plays. You're going to have more opportunities for tackles. So the numbers, you know, we should have probably not just looked at last year and said, okay, that's that's the, uh, the that's the baseline or that's that's our point of reference necessarily. Uh, but yeah, so we both got that right. Next one. Remember, we made did this podcast uh, the week after they announced Gerard Evans as the starting quarterback. So there was a lot of uncertainty with the quarterback position. This one, Gerard Evans, 80% of the snaps. Uh, I don't have an exact number because it's tough to base how many snaps he took and handing the ball off. I think it's safe to say he was comfortably over 80%, oh, prob- yeah. probably around 95% of the snaps uh, this season. I said over was correct. You said under. Uh, so I got this one. I was hesitant with it, though. I, I did uh, sort of hedge it a little bit when I said the over, which just shows how much changed over the course of the season that this guy that uh, honestly I thought could be an ACC player of the year candidate, we were just so on the fence of whether he was going to be the guy that stuck it out through the entire season. Yeah, and part of that pick for me was selfishness because I had written a column probably that week or the week before that you know, Bren- Brendan Motley didn't win the job, but he was going to he was going to be important to the team and he was going to have a role uh, and he did, you know, he in that Pittsburgh game he had uh, that those key runs at the end, but not not as much of a role as I thought he you know probably would have. I thought maybe there'd be an injury here or there. Uh, Evans was remarkably durable, uh, especially given the the rushing workload that he had. So uh, props to Evans; he he went over way well over that. And props to you for for getting that right. Kenny Canem, uh, we set this at nine and a half sacks initially. I think we said eight sacks or seven and a half sacks somewhere in there. And we're like, that seems way too low for what he's done in his, his career. So we moved it up to nine and a half. Uh, I think initially I was going to say over on the seven and a half, eight, and I ended up going under on nine and a half. And it was under, he finished with seven and a half sacks. You said over uh, citing the more plays factor. There are more, you know, the defense is going to be on the field and with his up tempo thing was probably going to face, have more opportunities uh, this one, I think, you know, Ken got hurt there in the middle of the season. He missed the Miami game. He played through shoulder pain for uh, a lot of those games, and I think he finished pretty well. Uh, this is one that I think was just sort of a bad beat because I think if he was healthy the whole season, he probably could have gotten to nine and a half. And yeah, all. yeah. I, I try to take into account the, the dinged up factor. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a clean loss there. For he me. was still the team leader in sacks. Yeah. Uh, back to the quarterbacks, we go Brendan Motley, Josh Jackson, over under one and a half starts. <laughs> uh, I said under, you said over because you were in on Team Motley at that point for his contribution Again, the this bang, season. The banged up thing, the banged up thing. <clears throat> it seems so silly in hindsight, but dur- before the season, this was legitimately a number that I think you could have made a case either way on. Yeah, and uh, you know Motley had his moment. Uh, at the in the pit game when Evans went down initially, he, he let a drive. They got a field goal on. Then came in at the very end and picked up some big first down yardage to run out the clock. Uh, didn't quite have the 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 uh, extended playing time they did the previous year when Brewer got hurt for those six games. Uh, you know we were coming off uh, Virginia Tech was coming off a season where they had the the quarterback injury where Motley came up, so that was sort of a factor in our thinking as well. Uh, so that one looks ridiculous in hindsight, but again, at the time, I think both of us had pretty logical reasoning for our picks. Yeah, I think most of these are set. The, the over unders are set pretty well. Uh, I'm not making good choices on on most of them so far, but 
uh, I think they're set pretty pretty solid. Well, here's one that you made a great choice on. Uh, we have Sam Rogers, 150 touches this year. Uh, that was when we set that. That was double of what he had had the previous year. I said over. This was at a time where you know, I mean, I guess Sam was sort of listed as the starting running back all season. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean they handed him the ball all the time. He ended up with 91 touches. He had 67 rushes. 24 catches, um, so that's 91 total, well short of the 150. Uh, I think if I think what I kind of envisioned going in, you said under, by the way, got this one dead on. Uh, I think sort of what my thinking was, they were going to use him like they did in that UVA game and the you know ACC title game. I think he got some touches there. Uh, obviously, they didn't quite do that the entire season. I think Gerard emerging as a rusher uh, took some of the onus off that and you know allowing Sam to be a blocker where he's really, really effective. Uh, but looking back in hindsight, I'm 150, which is entirely too optimistic for a guy who never even approached that in his career. Well, and if you'd said the quarterback was going to lead the team <clears> in <throat> rushing yards, we would never, we would never would have envisioned that. Uh, also, I think this goes back to something you talked about in our last podcast when we were talking about the running back situation for next year. You know, Rogers does so many of those other things. He blocks, and you know, he he just he had uh, a a really key role in the offense even when he wasn't touching the ball so uh i don't think the fact that he carried it 91 and i'm not saying you're saying this but the fact that he only touched it 91 times doesn't mean he he didn't have a, a very forceful impact on that offense yeah he's a guy they're gonna miss next year just because yeah. of everything that he does uh these next two we did not do so hot at uh 24 and a half points per game uh defense allowed mm. uh we both went over mm. uh, they allowed 22.8 points per game this year uh, so that was a, a vast improvement for the defense. I mean, obviously they had that shutout at Boston College. Had the game against UVA where they really shut them down. Uh, didn't allow much there. Uh, you know, very improved defense this year, I thought, just uh, across the board. I, I think when we were saying this, I, I, I said, well, the schedule is going to be really tough, and that will bump it up. And, you know, honestly, you look at Tennessee scored 45, uh, Notre Dame scored 31 in those two games, so it was kind of correct in that sense. But on the whole, this defense played very well, and that brought that average down. Yeah, a bit. and you also faced Deshaun Watson in the ACC title game, which wasn't on the schedule, you know. So, uh, Bud really exceeded our expectations on that category. Are you sure. willing to give him better than a C or whatever you <laughs> gave him on an early podcast for graded? <laughs> yes. Yes, he gets he gets an A. Uh, the next one, thirty three and a half points per game on offense. Uh, we both took the under on this. Uh, that would have been a you know thirty three and a half. I think would have been a two point improvement from last year, which is still a substantial improvement. Uh, they actually got up to thirty five points per game this year. Uh, so we both missed that one, and I, I guess it was just. I think a lot of that had to do with the uncertainty of the quarterback, yeah. and this will come up later in the the podcast. I think we both thought this offense had a lot of potential to to be pretty good if the quarterback position was correct. And at the time when we were doing it, it was just so much of an uncertainty that uh, I just couldn't do it. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, it, <laughs> my my pick there is tied to my pick that, that Gerard Evans was not going to play uh, more than 80% of the snaps. You know, it's sort of like I thought there would be some uh, some adversity at the quarterback position or some questions at the quarterback. There wasn't. I mean, he, he took that position and ran with it, and he's he's the main reason – that they're over on that, and he's the main reason we lost it. The only question with Gerard was early in the season when he had all the fumbles. It's like, is this guy going to be able to, to you know, yeah. hold on to the ball and ball security and all this stuff? And it turned out, yes, yes, he was able to the rest of the season. 
Uh, next one, the number of times that Bud Foster used the word dynamic. We set the over-under <laughs> at 1,000. Uh, I didn't go back through all the interviews. It might have gone over. I don't think we necessarily gave picks on either one of these. Yeah. Uh, the bottom line is Bud likes to say the word dynamic. He does. And at the end of the day. At the end of the day, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Uh, ACC wins. We set it at four and a half. Uh, Hokies won. <laughs> Hokies won six ACC games during the regular season. We both said over on this, so we were both correct. Oh, okay, good. Uh, I think before the season, that was a, a legitimate question whether they would get to five. I mean, they had been. Uh, I think they were three and five last year in the ACC. It had been four and four, I think, uh, before that. So setting it at four and a half, I don't think was too unreasonable. And looking at how some of those games turned out, I don't think it was too ridiculous. Uh, uh, of an initial thing, but I think when we both talked about, it, we both thought they had the potential to go over on this one, and and they did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, kudos to them. They, I mean, those those coin flip games that you looked at on the schedule when you saw that at North Carolina, well, they they handled that one very well. I thought they'd lose at Pitt. They didn't. You know, those are the those are the losses that you probably look at and see on, on the schedule. I mean, I thought they'd beat Miami at home. They did. Um, so, I mean, we, we were both – I think we well, both it's, it's, it's probably five wins. Yeah, it's funny. You look at the games, and we, we went through them on the podcast, and we're like, well, Syracuse, that's a win. Uh, Georgia <laughs> Tech later in the year, I mean, they, they handled Georgia Tech all the time. Like, the, the, a couple games that we were counting as surefire wins, they lost. Right. Uh, and then the, the big three, UNC, Miami, and Pitt – I think I only expect them to go one and two through that that stretch, and they actually went three and zero. They won all three of those games, uh, pretty impressively the way they did those. So, um, you know, we got it right, sort of in the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, it was just this is was a tough team to figure out. You didn't quite know what you were going to get with this team before the season. Yeah, it's the opposite of those when we pick the, <laughs> pick the tenor of the game right, but we don't cover correctly, and we try to turn the turn in our betting slip, and it, and it won't go through the machine. Uh, this one we turn in our betting slip and it, it, it pays off, but uh, we really didn't deserve. Who's it. gonna pay us for these, by the way? I don't know. Uh, Listeners, GoFundMe. Yeah, send in your money for us <laughs> making these picks earlier. You, Hello, you friend. deadbeats. I am a Nigerian prince and need money and meet. Okay, our last one: total wins, and we based this off of what the Vegas line was. Right. We did, we didn't set this one ourselves, so if you're gonna get angry at us for setting it too low, uh, in hindsight. Please don't. Uh, the, the the line was seven. Uh, I think it was six and a half. And then when Evans was named the starter, they bumped it up to seven. And that was a legitimate question before the season. I mean, obviously they win 10 games, uh, go way over. Uh, you know, I think a couple readers had sent me emails. And I, I remember this when they sent it to me. They was like, I think if Evans is the guy and they have this stuff and you know, sort of a very rosy outlook before the season. They're like, oh, this team could go 10 and two. And sure enough, they were right. You know, I'll give them credit for it. Uh, you know, I'm not going to apologize for picking them to go seven and five or whatever it was before the season, just because sort of those unknown variables. But we both went over on the seven. We were both correct on that. And I, I think in our reasoning of it, we, you know, we said this at the time, there was more upside for this team to go over. And I said this specifically, if Evans is the guy then they have a chance to do something more than, you know, be middle of the pack in the ACC. So, you know, I think we both made that point. I, I guess we can pat ourselves on the back for, for at least being right on that. I think for that one, we actually did limit it to the regular season because it was that's what Vegas does. And I think we said, well, okay, since this is an actual Vegas line, we'll say this is just regular season. So they went 9-4, and four, and I, well, 9-3 and three before the ACC title game. Still went over. And I remember looking at the, the flip side of that and saying, well, if they went under that, 
that's a you know that's a disaster for for a first year coach you know who's supposed to be bringing all this hope and stuff um, didn't happen and uh, congratulations to to Fuente and the team there I mean th- th- I think what this exercise has done one it's shown that you were you were on top of things here I mean what you were eight and five on your picks that's good eight and five you were six and seven so I think you owe me money is what this yeah, comes down to yeah I'll buy you I'll buy you a brewski some sometime next time uh, we're on the road together uh, but. I think what it also it illustrates, underscores, is that uh, you know Virginia Tech overachieved. Uh, I think everybody knows that, uh, but but it's kind of fun to look back at what our expecta- expectations were um, for this team and to see how often they they overachieved on them or they exceeded what we thought was going to happen. So uh, that's about. Yeah, that's all we have. That's uh. You want to you want to get together again? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll keep doing this until we uh, maybe ex- run out of topics to talk to. I think in the future we could talk about uh, sort of the you know next week it'll be past the declaration date for the NFL, so you sort of have an idea of what everybody has coming back and the coastal. Maybe we could run through that because the the coastal just got obliterated by early NFL departures and graduating guys to the point that. Uh, I have no idea who I would pick as the favorite right now. Yeah. I, I might I have to do some research into it to kind of see like who you know who would I pick as a, a very early favorite. Uh, you know, you, you think you drop Virginia Tech out of the conversation because they lost so much on offense, but a lot of teams lost a lot, yeah. and you know, Bud Foster still got a pretty good defense, and Fuente's still a pretty bright offensive mind that has made things work even without the experience. So uh, that that might be an interesting thing to take a look at. Yeah, well, a little accounting. Tidying up here, uh, we we talked all you know we gave the bull picks on the on, my bull picks on on the podcast previously, and they finished twenty three and twenty with Clemson's win, which I had so uh, not good. So you made money though. Yeah, well, you made maybe a dollar. I mean, you know, it's better than losing money. Uh, by the time we do this next one, I will be forty years old. Wow. Yeah. Gearing up for that uh, AC trip here. I am. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. It's a couple weeks. We're gonna we're gonna do it two weeks from. A week after my birthday, but well, I actually turned uh, 40 this weekend, so I don't, wow. I'll let you know if I feel any different. When we get if you back. feel older, yeah. wiser, I feel like I'm gonna more make, capable at the tables of. I feel like I'm gonna make money. a lot more errors in the summer baseball league, but uh, all right, well that's uh, what? How long was this podcast? 45 minutes. 45 minutes. That's pretty good for yeah, an for the off-season season cast. All right, for Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarland. We'll talk to you next time.